Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, excited to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we are going to get the update from the NDE seed team as we're talking a little bit about principal and teaching standards and the uh, process of just kind of putting those under the microscope and looking at those and, and kind of reframing those a little bit. And I'm grateful to have the members of our seed team here, Kim Snyder, Ryan Rickenbaugh, and Julie Downing. And we're going to really just kind of pick up from where our last conversation took place. And so if you didn't get a chance to check out that earlier podcast, we really set the stage for who this group is and kind of the approach to this work and what they're trying to accomplish. I highly encourage you to check out that episode. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the next step and just get a, a, an idea of where things stand at the moment. And so for our audience to be able to pick up on the different voices here and get to know the people that we have in the conversation, in case you didn't hear the last one, we're going to do introductions before we get into the work. So we'll start with Kim. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, for this opportunity. I'm Kim Snyder. I'm the Director of Statewide Teacher and Principal Support at the Department of Education and can say that I've been in this position for a few years now and spent the majority of my first couple of years really having conversations across the state about what it means to be an effective teacher and principal in Nebraska, just starting at the very base conversation there. What does that really mean? And then eventually leading to the revisions to the Nebraska Teacher and Principal Performance Standards and now have had the great opportunity to talk about these standards statewide and this podcast being one of those opportunities. So thanks, Andrew. Yeah, we appreciate having you on uh, along with Ryan Rickenbaugh. Thanks, Andrew. Big fan of the show, by the way. Thanks. And uh, working with Kim since June at NDE and with Julie since this fall. And I was a high school principal for a number of years in Waverly, Nebraska, and did some work in a nonprofit, continued some work with uh, higher ed and university, and have since been uh, working with NDE as a, a leadership and learning network specialist, and that primarily is focused on principal leadership. So the rollout of these standards and how we can enhance and maximize the influence and impact of principals is near and dear to my heart. And it's been great work so far. And we are really excited about things that are ahead and really glad to have the opportunity to, to have a conversation with, with you today. Oh, and I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I just had this thought, actually, that Otis Pierce, and shout out to Otis Pierce at ASU 7, is going to be really frustrated with this podcast because he was the first person to be on twice. And I'm realizing that Julie Downing is going to be our first person on three times and will usurp him as uh, having that title. Uh, so, Julie, I'm going to give your introduction. Uh, and sorry to you, Otis. We'll have to get you back on soon. <laughs> oh, Otis is a friend. I'm Julie Downing. I work for ESU 13 out here in the Panhandle. I live in Shadron and serve our 21 schools out here. This year, I work part-time in a partnership with NDE on the SEED team, primarily on the teacher side of the work in how do we support and develop teachers in our state. And been with the team since August, and we're really getting some, some leverage behind these standards and ready to talk about the next steps with them. So thanks for having us back. Yeah. Um, also a big fan of Andrew Easton's work in the podcast. So oh, I'm, this is only as good as the guests, which is why I have the three of you on here right now. So uh, and I'm really excited for, for this conversation about Kim Snyder's standards, right? Or wait, 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 wait <laughs> the seed NDE standards. Uh, Kim, help us out with this. Let's like the people that aren't familiar with this work kind of set the stage for, yeah, what it is that the seed team is working on. Yeah, so that's it's so funny you say that, Andrew, because we have heard these standards referred to as Kim Schneider's standards. We've also heard them referred to as the SEED standards, the NDE standards. We want to make sure that people understand that these standards are not new. The effective practices, the NTPPF, existed long before these revisions were made. So these are the NTPPS, the Nebraska Teacher and Principal Performance Standards, are revisions to some really good effective practices that, that still exist and are used by districts across the state. So the standards aren't new, they are revisions. And, you know, I think it's important also that we recognize that they belong to the state because they were written by 
Nebraska folks, people who have expertise in the classroom and as school leaders and in higher ed and educational service units, NSCA, NCSA, they're written by people in Nebraska and revised. So that, you know, those revisions were made because these folks know what effective teaching and school leadership looks like. And that's, that's the purpose of the revisions. It's always difficult to talk about change. And I think it's important that we get around that message that the change in these standards are revisions to what was already there and revisions that Nebraska's educators felt needed to be there. So uh, I'm just gonna keep going. I'm sorry, I'll just keep on talking, but I get really excited when I talk about these standards. And when I talk about the, the folks that I worked with when they were revising these standards, and I was such uh, in awe of the conversations that they had as they were trying to decide what to put in these revisions. And so we have to recognize, too, that they didn't just randomly select things from, you know, they didn't just look at other national models and say, oh, that looks good. Let's, let's put that in Nebraska. So they actually talked about what is happening in Nebraska and how these standards can be best used. And so that's how they decided on what wording to put in there. And a lot of standards, you can just use them as a, a checklist of things that, yep, we do this, we do this, we do this. And these standards are an instructional model that are not necessarily supposed to be used as a checklist of this is what we do, but more about this is how we as educators and as a school and as district, this is how we think. So it's not necessarily what we do, but this is how we think about effectiveness. And we're going to use that to lead deeper conversations in our district. And I'm sure people listening are going, okay, Kim, so it sounds like you're telling us we need to have conversations about our instructional model. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I know you already are having a ton of conversations about your instructional model and they're fantastic conversations. When I look at these standards, I reflect on my own 27 year career of teaching and think about how I should have been having conversations or at least reflecting on the things in something like what's reflected in these standards. Because I think I would have grown so much as a, as a teacher and more so as a colleague faster than what I did in my career. I, you know, for example, I, I think back on an, a situation, I was in a school and it was the very first day of school. You know, when teachers are coming back, we're all excited. And so we have to go to the first of the year teachers meeting. And the principal started the meeting by telling a story. And it was a story about a middle school student who was uh, in a large school system. And he was really, really struggling. And then the principal proceeded to say why the student was struggling. And it was not necessarily things that were happening at school, but it, were, it was things that was happening at home. And he went through the things that were happening at home. And I was just mortified that a student would have been going through some of those things, but that student was still going to school, but was not being successful at school. And then he went on to explain how one teacher had gotten a hold of that student and, and really understood that that student was coming to school with some unique needs and actually supported that student in different ways and made sure that that student was successful. And if the story had ended there, it would have just been, you know, oh gosh, here we go. But then the principal put a picture up on the screen and it was his picture. It was him as a middle school student. And I was so moved by that story. I went back to my classroom and I thought about it all day. We had teacher work time. And I, I thought all day long as I was hanging up bulletin boards and things about, wow, you know, Kim, what are you doing as a teacher to make sure that you're understanding that kids are coming to school with different needs and from different situations? And maybe you, Kim, can get better as a teacher if you're thinking about students as not just all exactly alike and, and cookie cutter, teaching in the cookie cutter fashion. So as I, I've read these standards a million times, it's those kinds of things that I think about when I'm reading these standards. Because I think that if I'd had something like these standards to really move me to what I probably should have been thinking about, talking about, acting on, reflecting on, I think I would have been more effective to my students. The principal came to my room later that afternoon 
And he said, Kim, what did you think about that story? And I told him how I was feeling and how I'd been reflecting on it. He proceeded to tell me that he had received numerous emails and had conversations with many irate teachers because they didn't feel that that was an appropriate story to tell for whatever reasons they had. As I think about that situation, I've thought about it many times since the standards have been written. What could I have done? I, I took what the principal had said and I internalized that and I think I made myself a better teacher because of that conversation. But what did I do with that information and with my realization to make myself a better colleague in what appeared to be probably a culture that maybe didn't value unique student situations. And I don't know for sure, but to me, it seemed obvious that maybe if, if he had that many negative responses, maybe people were a little bit afraid of their ability to address unique student situations. I don't know, you know, and that was something that principal needed to work through. But what did I do as a colleague to help grow others? And that, you know, in the standards, there's a professionalism standard. And one of the indicators says, effective teachers, actively pursue opportunities for professional growth and leadership development, both as an individual and as a member of a learning community. And it's that last part that as I've reflected on that, I didn't realize that that's something that I should have been really thinking about. I was my own classroom teacher. I valued how I did as a classroom teacher, but you know, and I, I don't think this standard expects everybody to, hey, I'm a leader in my, my district. I'm going to stand up and deliver professional development, or I'm going to be the right-hand man of the principal, and I'm going to do that. I don't think that's what that means, but I think it really makes people have those deeper conversations about what are we doing as colleagues to help each other grow and have an awareness of what our students are actually bringing to the table when they walk into our classroom. So I, I tell that story not to bore everybody, but just to kind of give you a, a picture of what's in my mind as I read these standards and I read them all the time. And <laughs> I think uh, words really matter. So when I look at that standard, I know again, as a teacher, I was an individual, but I also needed to be a member of a learning community. So that those words matter in that standard, a member of a learning community. And so when we think about how words matter, one of the reasons why uh, Ryan and I, Julie, talk on a daily basis is about the wording in the standards. And I think one of the words that's probably, probably going to cause some deeper conversations around Nebraska is that phrase in the standards that says, recognize and confront institutional bias and student marginalization. And that word confront and how that can take on so many different meetings. I know Ryan and Julie and I had an article that was published in the NSCA Voice magazine and it's specific around that word confront. And, you know, confront can mean <laughs> that you're hostile and defiant and you're opposing something and, you know, can have some real negative connotations, and especially when you tie it to the phrase institutional bias and student marginalization. But we prefer to use the word confront in a different way, and that is to bring together for examination or comparison. So what we mean by that is let's have some conversations around what's happening in our students' lives and what are we doing as colleagues to grow ourselves so that we're better able to confront those issues and, and, and compare how things are and how we might make them better for these kids. So I'll, I'll quit talking because I've just gone on too long, but there's a picture into the brain of Kim Snyder for what it's worth. <laughs> I can tell you're passionate about the work and that shines through all of that. And to further that conversation about confront, Julie, what's kind of your take on that, that definition? Let me just kind of build upon that. Yeah, and I think to pull from the article that Kim referenced in the NSEA Voice in February, words matter. And I think the North Star for me every day that I come to work on the SEED team is to work in service to the people who wrote these standards because they were written by Nebraska educators for Nebraska educators. And we're unique in that. Many, many other states don't have that blessing that we have. And to let the standards be the expert text of all of our work. 
And as I work with these standards and I work out there in schools and with other staff developers and leaders in the state, that's the phrase when we talk about there's some shifts in these standards, that's the phrase that people tune into and say, hmm, that's different. We've not heard that kind of language or that strong of language in Nebraska before. So to just start with that, that really our work is based in service to the people who wrote these standards for us. And when I think about that, I think, you know, we all have to sort of start where our own personal biases are and to sort of own the fact that we all have some. So I'm thinking, you know, about the standard that talks about the well-being of all students and that equitable access for all students. And I think having the words confront and eliminate institutional bias and student marginalization literally give us permission and require us to have these conversations on the regular to create a space where this is happening frequently with support and development. And I think before we can do that, you know, we have to really consider in 27 years of teaching, what are the experiences I've had that have shaped me and developed me and, you know, created this mindset I have now as a leader in the state. And, you know, I'm thinking back to a time when I was, I was teaching some paraeducators out here in our panhandle. And the, the topic was positive behavior supports. And we were talking about 16 proactive behaviors that classrooms should have. And I was doing my staff developer thing and thought I was doing a pretty good job. And the moment kind of hit me like a lightning bolt because at the end of the training, a very sweet para walked up to me and she said, um, ma'am, I appreciate your training, but did you realize that every story you told today was about a naughty little boy? Lightning bolt, right? And I had to sort of reflect on that and confront the fact that, yep, that is exactly what I did. And where did that come from? And so, and so two things about that, why the deficit mindset when this was supposed to be about positive behavior support and why boys? So where was that bias? And I, I had to do some reflection on that. And so the, the things I did, I spent some time, I read a couple of books and learned that there actually is quite a research base on why our boys struggle in public schools. I read a book called The Trouble with Boys by Pegtire, Pegtire, T-Y-R-E. And I read another one, The Boy Crisis um, by Warren Farrell. And it talks about this bias, which I was a very good example of. So I guess when I read those standards, I'm hoping that I will get to see regular, frequent conversations where teachers are, and not in a shameful and blaming kind of way, but saying, yeah, I, I can recognize in myself, I have some of these biases and when I see them, I will fix them. The first colleague that I talked to after that training that I shared this with said, well, that was rude. And I thought, well, I could go down that road. I could go down that road of blaming the para and you know, picking on her, but I decided to be grateful for the feedback and say, yep, uh, when, you, when you know better, you should do better. So, you know, that was a huge change for me, you know, from the lips of a para. And I rewrote the whole training, redesigned the stories, planned it in a better way. It's much better now. But that standard about confronting institutional bias and eliminating institutional bias and student marginalization, I think it does create a space for us to have these conversations. And in my experience, kind of like Kim was saying, I don't know that I felt like I had a regular, frequent, safe place to really expose that. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to be that person standing in front of other educators. Um, and thankfully, the sweet para pointed that out to me and I was able to fix it up and get better. But I think we have conversations like that and on a lot of other topics in these standards. I mean, these standards call out you know, different shifts in relationships different shifts in how we give students access and opportunities, different ways we need to think about equity and high quality instructional materials. Certainly our world context right now has given us reason to talk about race and racism and that words do matter. So I, I want this work to feel invitational. I think we have to consider our individual personal biases first so that we can bring our concerns to the table and talk about them with colleagues. And I think we chose this definition, bring together for examination and comparison, because these are so important. These conversations, they are critical in post-COVID education, but we have to bring people together in a way that we can have these conversations and be productive with them and not just sanitize them 
so that they don't change anything. These are hard conversations and they do make us uncomfortable. And everybody quotes me saying this, they're itchy and scratchy. And we have to be able to balance itchy and scratchy a little bit to, to go there. So I tell that story not because I'm proud of it, but because I think we need people to start modeling and being vulnerable and saying, yeah, I have it too. I, I have biases about things that I wasn't aware of for my entire career. So that's where my head is with this and just wanting to really be honorable to what our writers wrote. And that is a phrase that is definitely going to shift our work in Nebraska. And I think as we start to think about that more as what that means for us as teachers, as leaders in the classroom, I think then we're able to hopefully help support our learners in a similar fashion. And I wasn't planning on telling this story, but it feels worth sharing at the moment that uh, whenever I was in the classroom last year, I gave homework and I had a student that after a couple of months came up to me and said, you know, Mr. Easton, I I go to work from four o'clock until midnight every day. And I don't always during the week have the opportunity to get my homework done um, because I get home at midnight. And then if I didn't eat at work, I'm starving (laughs) and then I'm tired. And that certainly influenced whether he stayed awake in class or not. That influenced obviously his ability to get those those homework assignments done, impacted his grade. uh, And there just kind of was a lot that came with that. And I you know, talk with some other people in my department about that and just thinking through homework just in general, whether that's really fair, if that is your reality as it was for this particular student. Uh, And I share this too, to say then it wasn't long after, about a month later, we were having a discussion in class and a student sort of brashly in in, um, a disposition that I might've privately held prior to talking to that student, if I'm being honest, she shared, well, if you don't get your homework done, then that's kind of on you. And I uh, calmly in that moment, realizing that this student was in the classroom said, well, what do you, what would you say to the person who goes to work every day from four to midnight? And there's kind of this like crickets and like people don't do, some people do. (laughs) And it's tough sometimes because we get so narrowed in our perception of what an educational experience is by simply referring to our own. Or, or what we think is the general, which is probably influenced a lot by our own. <laughs> and uh, it's tough to sometimes break out of that, but, but it comes from, as Kim said, from seeing uh, other people from like for who they are and their challenges and listening, and then really bringing conversations around that. And it was a safe space for that girl to make that comment. <laughs> and we learned and everybody moved on, but it would have been easy too to say, don't say that <laughs> and kind of snap back at it. And I think just making a place for that to be a consideration without asking that individual student to give a testimony or draw him by name into that that conversation. Uh, This is multifaceted, I think, in terms of the things we could start to have more conversations around being sensitive to. I'm done. I get really fired up about this as well, kind of like Kim and Julie and, and Ryan also. So uh, speaking of that, Ryan kind of set you up here maybe to, to share a little bit about your experience. Yeah, I need to be the one that goes first because uh, listening to all you guys, I'm going to sound a lot less fancy and impactful. You guys really well articulate your your thoughts. And kind of a segue, really, the ability to, to be aware, right, of who you're working with and trying to understand backgrounds and things. It's hard. I mean, it is it is difficult. And, you know, this work, why I love it so much is being able to focus from the principal aspect of things. I believe that it, being a principal is the hardest job in a district. And the reason it's the hardest is because I think you have the greatest opportunity to to have the most influence and, and greatest impact on people, you know, whether it's staff, kids, community. So you're given, you're given quite an opportunity to, to make a big swath through a community. But with that, comes the difficulties that the principal job has. And when I really try to understand, okay, how do I, how do I support this? How do I support the work that we're trying to do? You know, and I, I apply a lot to my own experiences as a principal for 12 years and my struggles, my constant struggles. And I think it really comes down to your willingness to, to be aware of your own personal skills, your your biases, you know, are you one to ask yourself hard questions? If you can't do that, or you don't know how to do that, or you don't want to do that, I really don't think you can lead people 
And what we're talking about is, is leading change. I think any principal would say they want to have the ability to lead change. But do we really understand what that is composed of and, and how that can take place? And how do we put, I look at it, how do I put principals in a position where they can actually do the things that I know they want to do? Because there's a, you know, everybody wants great things. And I think everybody understands things that need to be done in education. But just the monstrosity of barriers that exist, it is so, so hard and overwhelming that it becomes easy to just say, you know what, I've got to focus on <laughs> what I've got to do on my list for today. I can't even come close to thinking about the things that I really wish we could do because there, there's no time in the day and there's no there's no end in sight to what that looks like. And the ability to actually start moving in the right direction, I think, starts with that personal awareness. So that's a that's a big part of the work that we're trying to develop and. You know, when I apply this to my own experiences, I, I I look back to some parts of my job that I'm not fond of, you know, uh, when I try to figure out, okay, where did I start maybe challenging my own practices and, and maybe starting to look how I could do things a little bit differently, really, it came as a result of me being selfish. And that is, I really got to the point where I struggled with every day being a reaction to negative things that were happening and always feeling like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that from a from a mindset standpoint, it wears you down and can make the job really, really hard. So there came a point in time where I just, my selfishness kind of took over and I just started spending more time on the things that I thought were more important and things that I wanted to spend time on. That didn't mean I could just ignore all the the reactive pieces maybe whether it's behaviors or or addressing issues um, that kind of stuff that didn't really go away but I started thinking to myself okay if if I do want to spend my time on the things that I know are right then something's got to give something's got to got to change and so I started to look at you know for one example behavior issues my assistant principal and I really began to approach some discipline a little bit differently and really focus on a teaching and learning process rather than than punitive things and had a lot of success with that you know the the amount of time we were spending on repeat behaviors and things like that really started to go down uh we felt good about those things you know some other things that that i looked at were the kids who i knew were struggling i wanted to really understand why they were struggling rather than just assume or you know, going back to your comment about, well, if you don't get your homework done, that's on you. Instead of as a principal saying, well, if you just behave, you wouldn't have the problems you're having, or if you would just engage or be interested in some of these things, you could take advantage of the opportunities. I really tried to understand, and that just meant I started talking with kids, trying to earn their trust that they could see, you know what, maybe they do have my best interests in mind. And then that led to how do I get kids more involved. So I started looking at what are our systems that allow kids to be involved or not be involved. A big aha was we were really pushing leadership and a student who wasn't involved in anything was frustrated with me and communicated as much about why she didn't have any opportunities because she wasn't involved. And, and she just said, those are my choices. I don't, I'm choosing not to be involved in those things, but that doesn't mean I don't want to be a leader or I want to have an influence. So we just looked at, you know, how are we selecting kids and, and why are we selecting kids? Why aren't we opening the door for all kids and assume that they have the best interest rather than looking at what they've accomplished or how they've approached things or how compliant they are um, and judging their interests based on some of the measurable things that we focus on at school. And that was an eye opener because all of a sudden, a whole group of kids that were never really shown much uh, commitment or interest began to show that and and we opened the door for that and that was that was really positive. So those were great things and again started from a selfish standpoint from my perspective but when I look back and when this work really makes sense to me I made that about me I did not make it about the system and as my assistant principal and I tried to start communicating some of these different perspectives and different approaches, 
there was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of conversation, a lot of good conversations. But there came a point with a lot of our ideas that I realized it was much bigger than me. It was something that was that maybe teachers wanted these things to happen, but the system, you know, got in the way. I couldn't assume that there were just people that just were stuck in their traditional ways and that's that's what they were going to do and that's the only way that they're going to do it. But what I realized is we were not making systemic changes. We were making kind of sporadic changes. And I was trying to convince teachers why these changes were the way to go. But when I left Waverly, so did those ideas. And so did that mindset. And that's what I feel most guilty about. And to judge a leader isn't about how effective you are in your programs and your policies and your how you interact and how you lead. It's what stays when you leave, right? What things when you leave, people say, you know what? We've established who we are as a school. We've established uh, expectations in this way and a culture of this. And regardless of who's leading us, that's what we want to uphold. And I did not establish that. And so when I think of this as a big picture, how do we help principals create the space for systemic changes to happen? And that means going back to everything that Kim and Julie talked about, we have to create the opportunity for voices, student voices, for teacher voices, for people to confront things that are going on that, you know, there are things that everybody knows are, are wrong. Like there has to be a better way. But where is the space for that conversation to take place? Teachers don't have it. So principals have the opportunity to create that environment around trust, around um, a safe place, around listening and getting input and hearing what people are saying, hearing what kids are saying, and being able to communicate those things and say, what is it that we could do differently that can address some of these things or that can move us in the, in the direction. And it's not overnight, but it's over time. Instead of talking about what we want, talking about what we know is good, feeling good about talking about it, but knowing in the end, those things, they're, they're never going to happen. I mean, there, there'll be things that I'll talk about with people, whether it was staff uh, when I was a principal or even now, where the response is, oh, Ryan, that, oh, that sounds great. That Sure, everybody wants that, but we all know that ain't going to happen, you know, and that that kind of response has bothered me for a long time because I've, I've never looked at things that way, but I absolutely understand why people do. And I, I got to the point where I that's why I, I left public education for a short time because I felt I had the opportunity to do some things that maybe the system didn't allow to happen in a public model. But now having the opportunity to NDE and with these standards we are truly opening that door from the ground up. And it comes down to how are we maximizing the impact and influence of a principal around the foundation of the teacher and principal performance standards. And it is everything that I've dreamed about as a principal and the opportunities to have. And it's everything that a hundred conversations I've had with principals over time. Because again, I think people know what's right and they know what needs to happen. Now is the opportunity. We are, as a, as a C team, we are creating that space for the conversations to begin with a foundation and support along the way to actually make these things begin to happen. So a little bit about my kind of where I came from and where that work has really led me to, to this opportunity at NDE. Looking back again, I'm not necessarily proud of the way things maybe turned out. But without those struggles, I definitely wouldn't be able to lead from this perspective uh, at this point. And I do think I can help push things forward. But it's that foundation of these standards that have just changed everything that I look at, because now I know it's it's possible from a system standpoint. Yeah, and Ryan, as you're sharing there, I couldn't help but think about the quote from Simon Sinek. And I, I'm going to probably just paraphrase this, but that there's a difference between leadership and management. And I think that there is, and I'm going to say whether you're a teacher, so I'll speak from teacher's lens, I've never been a principal before, but I can, can only imagine the immense pressures that an administrator is under, particularly at these times. 
where you're just managing and managing because you're just trying to get to the next day and through the next lesson and through the next, you know, parent-teacher count or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're sort of organizing at the time, that it's tough to find the time to pick your head up and, and lead. And it's also when you do get the opportunity to do that, challenging to find the time to follow through to make sure it becomes institutionalized. <laughs> and uh, I also think there's a little bit of savviness too, as well. I can imagine as a first year teacher, as much as I wanted to lead, I also just needed to survive. <laughs> and so I think over time, you kind of grow into your capacity to be able to step into that leadership role. But uh, it, it's, it's terrific to see the intentionality in the standards here being brought around, let's be leaders, right? And I think the more that we can really help principals focus in on that, then through the struggle and that is the example being set in, in that work of, hey, this doesn't happen overnight, but here's some things that we're going to do to build that culture within our school. That only models then for teachers, which that's our farm system <laughs> for principals, right? And so the more that we can be privy to that as classroom practitioners of leadership that does lead, uh, I think that we're only going to see us grow systemically from that. And when you're given the permission to do that in class too, uh, I think sometimes. So Julie, what are your thoughts kind of playing off of that? Well, I think it says let's be leaders, but I think the what underpins that is let's be thoughtful. Let's mm -hmm. think about this. And I'm certain that there are a million more stories out there in Nebraska that are just like the stories we've told today where people have thought about how can I be better? If I know better, how can I do better? This work around confronting institutional bias, eliminating institutional bias and student marginalization is really between and among the people. And we talk a lot about policy and systemic change, but it starts with people. And I think every single day, like Ryan talked about, we have choices. We all make choices. And in education, there's a lot coming at you. And principals' jobs are filled with urgency. Teachers' jobs are filled with 2,000 decisions a day. And I think part of this work is we have to slow our roll a little bit and filter the feedback and I'm going to channel a little Brene Brown here and say, when I get feedback, I have to decide, does this help me get better? Is this feedback I need to embrace and be thoughtful about? Or do I need to drop this at my feet and move on? And in my case, I had feedback from a colleague who loved me and knew I was hurt by the situation I was in and wanted to just make me feel better, which would have been easy to do. And I appreciate that. And I had feedback from a para who was pointing out to me, this isn't quite right how you did this. And it isn't fair and it isn't equitable. And so I had to slow down a little bit and think about that and pick up the feedback from the para and say, I can make this better. And I still appreciate colleagues who, who know when I'm hurting and want me to feel better. So I'm just saying that we, we all have feedback and we all have choices and we need to slow down a little bit and think thoughtfully about them because everyone in education comes to work wanting this to improve. No one comes to work in education and says, I want to make it worse. So I think the feedback is a gift. We just have to consider how we, how we think about it and how we apply it to our work and be patient with people. And I'm talking to people more and more about this out there because it's a focus of this work. And there are so many stories that people are trying. I'm with Ryan and Kim on this. I'm super happy that we now we have it in writing in these standards that says we need to create a space to do more of this work. And it starts with the stories and the individual thinking about your own personal awareness and bias. Andrew, I'm going to jump in too. I think it's uh, everybody gets to hear now what I get to hear on a daily basis when I talk to these two colleagues of mine that are just phenomenal. So how I can't go to bed every night with a smile on my face because I get to work with these two is, is um, it's pretty amazing. Um, but I, I do agree with both of them in everything that they've said and how all of these situations that we've gone through and reflected on in our own careers as educators and how they've made us into the people we are today. We have the opportunity in our job to have that conversation because that's our job is to talk about these standards and to reflect on them and how can these standards impact others in Nebraska. You know, like Ryan said, all the principals are just going day to day trying to find time just to handle the things that are coming at them every second of the day. And the teachers are doing the same exact thing. So 
when we talk about creating this space for teachers and principals and districts to have this conversation, it's not that we are ignorant of the fact that the space is there, but the time is definitely an issue. So I say that because I, earlier I mentioned Marzano Danielson. I wanna go back to what we've always said about these standards. They are not mandated across the state. People don't need to talk about them. They don't need to read them, I guess. And like Julie said, we have choices. What we're asking is that if educational organizations across the state could take this opportunity, find a space and time to have to, to look at these, look at the nuances in them and look and see how those nuances can create some deeper conversations. Again, I, I know time is an issue. We don't want this to become another thing that we're doing. We want this to become something that enhances what they're already doing. But I don't wanna dissuade people from looking at it because of the time issue, but I also know that I think people will benefit from reading these standards and really having some deeper conversations about them. We, we wanna hear folks' stories as they're grappling with the same things that Ryan and Julie and I explained on this. We really do want to hear those stories, whether it's in an email or a phone call, we wanna hear those stories and maybe what a reading through of these standards caused them to reflect on as, as they've done that. And I've got a lighthearted aside to add here that I'll pivot to more deep seated conversation. But yeah, you know where you can find some time? Turn one of your meetings that could be an email into an email and take the time. <laughs> <laughs> I must be going to have all teachers saying that, like, I think that that opportunity exists. So look for it uh, and prioritize that you're able to actually have conversation because who doesn't want to be in a staff meeting that's actually getting into the, what's your phrase, Julie? Itchy and scratchy. The itchy scratchy. I think that there is room for that too. Uh, so let's do that in the staff meeting. Anyway, go ahead. I'll, I'll throw it to you. Or start or start your own self and you know find yep. a friend or two or a colleague or two and just say let's let's listen to some podcasts or let's read a book and let's let's just spend some of our own time talking about this to start in a space that's very safe and where you can be vulnerable. Because this is, it's uncomfortable and we, we don't want to make it so uncomfortable that people won't come, mm -hmm. but it is work that we need to do. We've talked a lot as a team about, and we've said it a lot here, creating the space, right? And what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, you know, Kim talked about these standards not being mandated. That's important to understand. And Julie talked about thoughtfulness and being thoughtful. And really what creating a space means is, we want to give districts the ability to be thoughtful and to think through what these things mean to them. There is no template for this. I mean, this is as tailored to districts as it possibly can be, but creating a space means you have to be willing to be thoughtful and to ask hard questions and to, to really wonder what is it that we could really do different or what do we need to do different and I think that's part of the ability to move forward is recognizing how hard that's going to be. But again, that's why it's so important as a leader that you can create that environment where that is actually possible. Because we, you know, everybody says they want to be able to have real conversations and they trust each other and that kind of stuff. But we want you to identify the questions that you need to ask as a, as a district or as a building and then it's, it is up to you to find the time to create the space to, to dig into that where it is uncomfortable and edgy and things that you probably don't want to hear but need to hear. I mean, that's what this is really about. And I think that's where we're going to find the most support is needed because that's, that's just not the norm in schools because, again, not because people don't want to. It's because everything is so reactive. Time is so precious. And we're so busy making sure we've accounted for every second of every day for kids so they're not wandering off and doing their own thing or whatever it may be. We've got to let go of some of that stuff and, and be more innovative in what time looks like. And also the system has to honor just creating space for teachers to collaborate and talk. Doesn't have to be on an in-service day where there are no kids. 
that actually can be built in during a school day. We just maybe need to be more creative about what kids are doing during that time. And just, so that's just an example, but that's where, and, and we talk a lot about context. The NTPPS is only effective if the people that are, that are leading it and working through it can create their context, can create the space for the real tough, hard conversations to happen. And if those two things are happening, they will come up with their own answers. We just want to be there to support the structure, support the implementation, support the collection of data, whatever that may be. That's the role that we want to play. We're not telling people how to do things. We don't know how they should do them. We just know the conversations need to take place. So let's let's start. Let's start there. Yeah, if you're going to ask the question, you you also need to want to arrive at an answer that gives you direction. It's not enough, and it's great to make the space to ask the question. Let me just say that that's a notable change from maybe previously what has been in place. But but to ask the question means to also want an answer, and then trying to make that actionable. And and hopefully then when you arrive at that answer. It may not be the answer you were expecting, and it leads to more questions, so that the growth just continues. Well, I know that I've just absolutely enjoyed having this conversation today. I'm going to say both before we started recording, in the like 40 minutes where we were just really, I think, extending each other's thinking through that dialogue uh, and through this conversation that we've recorded. Uh, and I am, I'm jealous. You know, this group, as Kim was saying a moment ago, uh, your collaboration has just got to be so rich. <laughs> and I appreciate you taking the time to give us a little window into the work that you all are doing ongoing. Uh, and I typically at the close of a podcast get to a place where you say you know what was kind of your parting message so happy to make space for that but maybe more so um, what's the next step right so this is a series for us in terms of these podcasts that the previous one showcases the work in its development and communicating what's going on we're talking about confronting here as our theme uh, and so when we revisit this conversation uh, where do you see our next steps kind of leading prior to that I think uh, and Ryan and Julie can help me on this too. I do believe we're on this podcast and we're encouraging people to have deeper conversations. And with deeper conversations comes, like Julie says, the itchy and scratchy stuff. And so I think what's next is that we come together as a state and we have those conversations together. We have to get to that point where we're not uncomfortable having those conversations. and. We can't do it alone. We're all in this together. So I think what's next is, and maybe you were trying to get to more concrete things, Andrew, maybe, maybe you wanted me to say, well, Hindi is going to put out this next set of resources. Uh, but in my small little brain, <laughs> what's next is that we have to get to the point where we're not uncomfortable. And I know we talked about this prior to us starting to record this. So, you know, uh, we just want people to be curious about these standards, curious enough that they pick them up and they look at them and they reflect on how those standards fit their context. And what does that mean for their context? What do these standards mean for their context? Does it mean that they need to change a few things? Does it mean that they just need to have deeper conversations at the system level? What does it mean? We just want people to be curious about them and dive in. Can I just add that we want to help, like our next phase, I guess you could say, is how do we help districts identify the right questions, right? Because again, we don't know what individual districts' questions are. They have to, they have to find those, but there's ways we can help them move in that direction. And how do we create a support process or the ability to help them work through those questions? Because again, like Kim said, if we're doing it right, one question leads to more questions and to more questions. And it's not that you're going to arrive at a final, hey, we've got it. But if, if you're moving and progressing because of the questions you're asking, then that is absolutely everything we want these standards to be about. So when you ask, what is our hope maybe for the next time we talk? I think, I hope that we have the beginnings of a process to help people with that initial phase of how do we identify the questions we need to ask and having a statewide conversation 
is going to help identify some of those as well. So bringing people together from that statewide perspective, we've got to earn that opportunity, I guess, as a seed team. Um, and that's kind of what we're working on now, just slowly but surely. But I want to be able to model, you know, I hope that we have the opportunity to model some of what we hope can happen within districts. But again, it's going to look different for everybody. We just want to make sure that we're providing the tools and the, the right supports to have the mindset to begin the process of asking the right questions. So I'm going to put in a shameless plug, Ryan. This made me think of this. I should have mentioned it earlier, but it fits here too. June 10th and 11th, we have our educator, our annual educator effectiveness conference. And so these types of conversations will be a part of that conference. So we're hoping to get as many people there as we can as far as ESUs, higher ed, and NDE. I think um, my summary statement of this work is that the seed team can't do this thinking for districts. So this is going to call on districts and, and leaders and teachers and educators everywhere to do some of their own work and their own thinking. And the confronting conversation really says, ask better questions. I'm just going to close by saying thank you and, and reiterate how grateful I am that we are able to have this conversation on a podcast and get into this because that that's the work. That's what we're saying, right? <laughs> the work is, is to be active in dialogue around these topics. And for anyone listening in, thanks for seeking this out as well, right? And, and ongoing and, and expect more uh, as things move forward through a multitude of avenues. I love what Kim shared there with the conference uh, and know that it's meaningful work. And I'm so grateful that we are amplifying our concerted effort to make sure that that's going to be a part of all of our thinking uh, as we look to support our teachers uh, and students and moving forward. So thank you all. I'm so excited for the next podcast already after how fun this one has been. And so until then, keep up the good work and we'll talk to you soon. Hey.